Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Caleb Zachran, the assistant editor of the New Books Network, and you're listening to New Books in Popular Culture. Today, I'm speaking with Jody Rosen about his new book, Two Wheels Good, The History and Mystery of the Bicycle, from Crown Publishing. Jody writes for the New York Times Magazine, where he has written about everything from Mr. Softy's ice cream to scam rap. Two Wheels Good is a sweeping exploration of the bicycle, from its invention in 1817 to the present day. This book was truly a joy to read, and readers will no doubt find that the bicycle's place in modern history should not be underestimated. Jody, thank you for joining me today on the New Books Network. Thanks, Caleb. Really happy to be here. So first question, sort of standard with New Books Network, is if you could just tell me a little bit about your background and why it is that you chose to write a book about the history of the bicycle. Yeah, so let's see. Well, I'll, I'll try and do the, should I do the short version of my background or and, and how oh, I got go for it. the long version? Go for the long okay. version. It's it's New Books Network, so. Okay. Um, well, uh, you know, I, um, I kind of, um, I started out way, way back when um, thinking I was going to be an academic. So I was doing graduate work at one point with an eye to being like an American cultural historian. And for various reasons, um, chiefly my my not wanting to take a good job that wasn't in New York City, like in you know Lincoln, Nebraska, or someplace like that. Essentially, to not, anywhere other than New York, I realized um, that, among other things, was the, the academic career path was not for me. So. I've always been kind of a, a frustrated, like lay historian, hack historian, <laughs> um, and um, uh, and sort of envy my friends who wound up in the academy in various ways. Um, but I also was very fortunate to kind of fall into a career in journalism, and and uh, I, when I say f- fall in, that's more or less what I did because I wound up writing a couple things for the online magazine Salon back in the late 90s. And then I, I got a call from an editor at the New York Times and suddenly I was doing pieces for the arts and leisure section there about music. The reason I was doing them about music is A, I always love music, but the pieces I'd done for Salon had been about music. So, so I kind of became not uh, because it was you know my explicit career plan, but I became a music critic kind of by default because I, I was I was anointed as one and may and wound up doing that for some years um, for various publications, including the online magazine Slate. I was the music critic for the nation. I was a music critic for New York magazine for a while, wrote a lot for the Times and and other outlets, Rolling Stone. Um, and I always felt like I, I mean I love writing about popular music. I still do it to an extent, but I always felt like a frustrated generalist. 
Um, like I was kind of pigeonholed in, as a music critic and didn't want to be one. Um, so, uh, so I had to kind of, through various career intrigues and machinations, make my way over to being accepted as a generalist. Um, one thing that characterized, I'd say, the, the music criticism I did was a kind of a long view. I was always very interested in history. So even if I'd be writing about, you know, hip hop, which I did a lot of, I'd also be like trying to bring in, you know, circa 1911 Irving Berlin, <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of thing. So, so anyway, I, I, I wound up eventually getting a job at the Times Style Magazine, the magazine T, as their um, as, as what was called a critic at large, where I, where I then suddenly wasn't just writing about music, but I was writing pieces about a little bit of everything, politics, culture, transportation. Um, and transportation was always a big interest of mine. So to circumnavigate now, as if on a meandering bike ride to the bicycle, yeah, I've always ridden a bike every day, all the time, my entire adult life and a substantial period of my childhood, it was my primary means of transportation. Um, and have always been fascinated by by the bike as as a cultural object, as a um, as an you know an, an art object, um, and have been fascinated by its history. And there's 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 an extensive literature on the bicycle, um, which I've kind of vacuumed up over the years. Um, but I found myself frustrated with a lot of at least the kind of popular literature, the trade literature on the bike, because it was in various ways I thought. A little parochial in its interests, you know, is mostly um, focused on um, America and Western Europe. Even though the bicycle was a very much a global phenomenon, and there are many, many more bikes, for instance, in the global South than they are in the around these parts. Um, and also, you know, the that literature is often quite romantic and sentimental about the bike. So, um, I should say there's a there's a very robust academic literature on the bicycle, which I am in indebted to. And I sort of, you know, when I turned more seriously to this project, started reading a lot of that too. But that is, as I promised, a long answer because it, the, about how I got to this subject. It was something I always wanted to do, had contemplated for various years, for many years. And um, at some point I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to sit down and, and write a book proposal and try and get a deal to, to write about the bicycle. And that's, that's what happened. Uh, I got that deal, I, I'll, I'll say, uh, a lot longer ago than <laughs> than I should have. That is to say, it took me it took me forever and a day to write this book, um, but I'm, I'm I'm pleased that it's that I've I finally got it done and out in the world. What percentage of the book would you say was written while riding on a bike? Where it was this? You're kind of you know you're thinking about this book, your companion piece, while you were riding around. Uh, Good question. I don't know how to break it down in percentage terms. I don't know about writing, but certainly the, the thinking, the, the musing on the bike, you know, my, my deep thoughts, as it were, about, about the bicycle as a kind of sent, the, the sensual, experience, sensual experience of riding the bike and, and, um, and um, things I write about, about the, the kind of engineering of the bike, those thoughts um, very much consume me when I'm out on the bike. Um, you know, uh, also, I think a lot about the way um, the way one interacts with the environment with the cityscape with New York in particular when I'm out on the bike. And so yeah, this I've done, I've done, I've done a lot of um, kind of contemplating of 
these various topics while out on the bike. And, and when writing this book, you know, whenever I was stuck, I think I mentioned this in the book, but when I was like stuck or like, you know, experienced some form of writer's block or just was like, couldn't, couldn't hack it, couldn't type another word. Um, I'd, I'd head out on the bike kind of ride going nowhere in particular. And that, that generally was a, a good way to shake things loose and, and <laughs> to get the juices flowing again. So, you know, you begin the book by telling this sort of story where you go to this, um, this church in England and there's this, this window pane, uh, which is, you know, legend has it that it's of a, a bicyclist. Uh, it's not, but wh why did you choose to start the, start the book with this story? And how does, you know, how does this sort of frame this idea of the bike, even though it does have this sort of very, you know, more or less established origin in 1817, this kind of idea that the bike is something that, you know, has existed for, for all time for since the beginning of human history, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the, like a, a crucial fact there and one of like this, these central central facts and conundrums of the bicycle is is that it arrived so late uh, you know it's the the technology to create a bike has been available since the middle ages but for various reasons you know humankind never got around to like creating the bike proper um, until this relatively recent date in history you know it's the second decade of the of the 19th century and i think that's that's part of the reason that um, there's so many apocryphal stories, kind of you know bogus origin stories, creation myths that have circulated around the bike um, uh, since its since its invention. And, and you know, also it's 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 such a simple machine. It's such sort of like a and a, 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 it's so a How do I how should I put this? Yeah, it's it's simple. There's 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 very little. There's very few working parts in the bicycle. You look at it; it's kind of transparent. You can read how it works almost without ever. If if you were a person who just you know teleported down to Earth and never seen a bicycle, I think you'd pretty quickly be able to figure out how the machine worked and how to ride one, at least in theory. Um, so so for that reason, again, it seems like something that's that's um, elemental, and and that should have been there you know, for all time, it should have been, you know, its origins should have been in antiquity and not in, you know, the, not something you could trace to, to the Duchy of Baden in 1817. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I noticed in, in the literature that there were a lot of these, these bogus stories. And in fact, um, a lot of that stuff has wound up in books that are, you know, published by respectable presses, my, my, own, my own day job in New York Times, you know, when I was researching this book, I, um, in 1974, there was, there was a, um, the purported discovery of a, of a bicycle, um, a drawing of a, a very modern looking bicycle in the, in the notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci. This was, story was reported all over the world and quickly exposed as a hoax. But in, in the New York Times, they're reporting on this, on this discovery, they say, uh, yeah, there's also you can you can if you look at bas reliefs, you can find images of bicycles that are that we can trace back to ancient Babylonia and <laughs> um, you know, Egypt and you know ancient Rome. 
So this, this, the, all of these myths have worked their way into very respectable, respectable literature and journalism and the, and the kind of persistence of these, of these tall tales fascinated me. So yeah, I went to, um, I went in particular to look at this one, the window pane you mentioned, which is in a beautiful little church in the village of Stoke Poges in England. And, um, and it's, it's, it's an image whose provenance is still disputed, but it is definitely not an image of a bicycle. And yet there's been this kind of, um, you know, this uh, almost spiritual aura that has surrounded this thing in part because it sits in a church and there still are pilgrims who go to Stoke Poges to, you know, drink in the, the, um, the, the so-called bicycle window. And, and I, I think some of them may <laughs> believe that they're, they're, they're communing with the, the, the proto, the ur bicycle when they look at that thing. So to talk about the, you know, the, the, the true origin story, what, you know, the, there's this sort of interesting theory that you outline. Uh, it's, not, it's not your theory, but it's, uh, it's one that, you know, is, is even promoted on, uh, you know, coinage, German coinage, this idea that the bicycle was invented uh, because of a uh, volcanic explosion. So what's the story there? And what's the origin story, the actual invention? And who is this, you know, th this very interesting, almost absurd figure who invented the bicycle? Right. So, so the inventor of the bicycle is a guy named Karl von Dreis, who was a, a minor German nobleman. Um, he was living in Mannheim at the time of this invention. He was, a, he, was, he, he was technically a forester. This was his, the chief forester of the, of the Duchy of Baden, but in, in practice, he didn't really do much foresting. Um, he um, kind of had that appointment, drew a salary, but spent his time kind of daydreaming and tinkering. And he actually invented a lot of cool little gizmos, a kind of kind of prototyper, various uh, dictation devices, other, other cool gadgets. But he was particularly interested in the, in the, in the question of, of horseless travel. Because of course, at this time, the, 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 the only way to move swiftly over land was by hitching up some kind of draft animal to some sort of cart, you know, horse or donkey or dog or whatever to drag you across, across land. And so in, 19, in, in 1817, um, after various attempts, he makes this kind of eureka breakthrough where he, instead of putting two wheels um, on either side of some sort of carriage or cart or device, he lines them up in a row and realizes that by putting, stretching there, kind of a, connecting them with a piece of wood and then straddling that device as you would a horse, you can stay balanced and move the thing forward. Um, the device he created was, he called a, a Laufmaschine or a running machine. That's because it was, um, it was a thing that you literally kind of, as I say, straddled and ran while straddling, <laughs> ran across the ground while straddling, you rode it by by um, putting, centering your body weight in it and kind of scooting or skating your feet across the ground, much like the little wooden balance bikes that children use today to learn to ride. Those are very much just modern Laufmaschinas. Um, as for how the circumstances under which, you know, the circumstances that led to his, this eureka moment, this breakthrough for him, that is um, unknown and, and a subject of some dispute in in bicycle historiography, um, the the story that you are referring to, and one that is that is 
um, just a theory, but widely accepted is the idea that, <clears throat> pardon me, that, um, at that at the time of its invention in 1816, um, there was this ecological, <laughs> this, this environmental catastrophe. There was a, an explosion, uh, to, to make a long story short, a, 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 a giant eruption of a volcano um, on an island in Indonesia, um, which shot so much um, <laughs> uh, dust, so much, so, many, uh, so much dust into the atmosphere that it dimmed the sun, dimmed the sun and led to all kinds of um, bad climactic <laughs> consequences for much of the world in the West. Uh, this is the famous year without a summer of 1816 when um, there was snow in the winter in North America. I'm sorry, pardon me. Snow in the summer in North America, very cold temperatures, crops, crops died, horses dropped dead. Um, there were shortages of, of feed for the horses. And it was because of this that um, the theory goes that Carl von Dreis, his thoughts, he was sitting there um, in, in Bavaria. There, the temperatures were cold in the summer. There, were, there was not enough, there weren't enough oats to feed the horses. And suddenly he was like, we got to come up with some horse alternative here. And, and so his, his, his thoughts, the story goes, turned once again to the question of horseless transport. And he came up with this, this lauf machine or, or running machine. Um, you know, I am a little skeptical that that is the true story. It's a, it's a theory that was espoused by a great scholar named, named um, uh, Hans Erhard Lessing. Um, but he himself admits that it's just a theory. The only thing that, that Carl von Dreis him, said himself in his own writings about this invention was that he was inspired by ice skating. So that again points to A, uh, an origin in the wintertime and also makes sense given that you kind of impel this thing by skating your feet across the ground. So just, you know, even a, a couple of years later, you know, the, the Lauf machine or the, the Velocipede, the, you know, many, many different names for it had already made its way to England. And you have this, uh, you know, really great little tale of the, uh, you know, these, um, these lords and uh, barons, you know, participating in a, in a dandy horse race. Uh, and if you could talk a little about, you know, the kind of initial uh, reception of the bicycle and its impact on culture. Yeah, so, um, uh, well, Dreis was a kind of promoter, a sort of huckster in his way of his, um, of his invention. Uh, he took out patents in various places and wanted to, to, he was kind of an evangelist for his machine. Um, so uh, he went to France um, and various uh, manufacturers started to produce these things in France. There was a, there was a little vogue for them um, in Paris, especially. Um, they, were, they were pretty pricey machines. It, it cost a lot of money to produce one of these things. And um, so it was, not, it was not a, at that point, not a, um, you know, not a, a democratic machine. We think of the bicycle as something that is, is for the masses, but that's really a phenomenon of the um, the 1890s bicycle boom. At this point, they were they're expensive, so it was it was well-to-do people who could afford them. Um, anyway, soon after they arrived in France, they made their way to England, where again um, various manufacturers began to 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 um, began to yeah build these things, um, and a uh, 
a fad for them kind of erupted briefly but intensely, um, especially around the year 1819 among the kind of, um, I, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, beau monde of London at that time. Um, famously, um, what was called the, the, in England, the Velocipede or nicknamed the Dandy Charger, the Dandy Horse, the, um, um, the Dandy Cart um, was, um, was embraced by the Prince Regent himself. This was the period of the Regency. So, so George, the kind of um, ne'er-do-well son of the King, uh, who was such a famous party boy, um, <laughs> had his great big uh, palace in Brighton where all the, all the see and be seen crowd went to debauch. <laughs> um, he, uh, I think, had, a, had, a, um, had five of these things that he kept at his palace in Brighton. And a number of the, um, of the people in that kind of set um, uh, yeah, embraced the thing. So there, there was, there was this, this vogue for them, especially among so-called dandies, that is, you know, well-dressed, well-bred, um, rich party boys, um, young men in uh, in London in this in this sort of period of the of, like height of the Regency, um, and uh, and and it's very it was it's interesting because you know as I say we we think of the bicycle as something that is that is a machine for the masses, but at this point it was very much you know a plaything of of the wealthy, and for that reason became the object of of populist resentment. So. Um, there was um, there was a, there was a lot of kind of there was a sort of an instant backlash among regular people towards this machine in part because yeah it was associated with these with these um, you know rich wastrels but also because it was um, thought to be a kind of illicit or illegitimate machine um, it was taking up space on roads that were that were that were thought to be um, the exclusive domain of horses and horse-drawn vehicles um, and also these things were were run a lot in on on pavements, sidewalks, and in the parks of, of London and other cities. Um, and because because especially because people viewed these things as as illicit and dangerous, as a threat to you know they were thought to be um, freaking out horses. Um, there's some evidence that this was true. Horses would start at the site of one of these things, and also uh, you know pose pose a danger to pedestrians. Um, various um, bans were enacted both in England, first in England and then in various other places um, that this machine reached. Interestingly, there's, there's evidence that, um, that a number of these things made their way to Calcutta and that a, a similar ban was imposed there. Um, and there also uh, were velocipedes like this um, in the States a couple years later, 1820, 1821, and, and the same pattern repeated. So, you know, they were, they were, there was, there was swiftly bans were imposed um, by authorities who thought, yeah, these things are, need to be pushed off the road. So that very first kind of bicycle boom or bicycle boomlet was A, quite short-lived um, and, and B, um, very much, um, you know, uh, anticipated some of the same debates that we see to this day about um, whether the bicycle is a legitimate vehicle, whether it there's you know a cyclist has um, a right to the roadway, um, that sort of thing. Yeah, you have a, this kind of 
funny quote from from the poet John Keats reacting to the bicycle, and he he is not a not a fan of it, which was you know funny to think of him being there, you know, sort of observing uh, the the invention and then first rise of the bicycle. Um, you know, you talk you mentioned a little bit this you know, this idea of the the bicycle sort of taking over the road and imposing on you know the, the domain of horses. Uh, can you talk a little bit, you know, just about this general rivalry between horses and bikes and, you know, what they, they're kind of different symbol, you know, the different cultural um, symbols, you know, the, 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 the horse being maybe more traditional, the bike being this kind of thing that was more revolutionary, uh, you know, even, you know, a, a, maybe a, a feminist uh, um, form of transportation as well. Yeah. So, so right from the start, the bicycle was was framed as a kind of replacement horse. Um, uh, to go back to Carl von Dreis, he he said this explicitly. He made a comparison between the horse and the bicycle in terms of like the you know the, how how quickly they could move. Um, his very first ride, I think, pointedly, this was a sort of public demonstration in Mannheim where he unveiled the Laufmaschine. He went to. Um, like a livery, like to a stables, that ride ended at a stables. And I think he was, he was making a kind of rhetorical point there. This is the new horse. Um, but uh, yeah, right from that, the get-go, it was, it was perceived as a threat by people who, for instance, made their livelihoods in the, um, in the horse trade in various ways. So um, hacking carriage drivers, veterinarians, um, Horse, you know, um, blacksmiths who created horseshoes. All these, all these people looked upon the bicycle as, as, as both, you know, a very poor replacement for the <laughs> for the horse, a very weird idea that you'd want to have a machine instead of a horse, but also, um, also um, a, a threat, a threat in in economic terms, um, and this this we can sort of trace this theme this theme forward. Um, through the through the various stages of the bicycle development, so in you know the 18, 18 the middle part of the nineteenth century, you get a, a new bicycle that was known as a bone shaker because it was um, it had sort of big wheels, but it was again poorly engineered. This this unlike the Lauf machine, it was a pedal it was a bike driven by pedals, but it was a direct drive. The pedals were on the wheel as opposed to you know they they weren't in the middle of the bike pulling a pulling a, a rear driven chain. Um, <laughs> And then, then, then comes the um, the famous high wheeler or penny farthing. That's that crazy looking bike with the giant front wheel and the very small one in the back, again with a direct drive. But in this period too, uh, the rhetoric the rhetoric around the bicycle was like, yeah, this is this is the new horse. And moreover, it's better than the horse because unlike the horse, you it's cheaper. Um, you don't have to keep it in a stable. You don't have to feed it. It's not going to get sick. At least not in the same way a horse does. Um, it doesn't foul the pavement <laughs> um, by <laughs> going to the bathroom, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Columbia Columbia Bicycle is one of the the, the big early American bicycle manufacturers. Um, called their their in, in 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 their advertising literature, they called them big advertising posters. They called their their high roller bicycle an ever an ever saddled horse which eats nothing. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, this 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 tension existed, and by the time um, we get what is known as the safety bicycle, the the, the modern 
bicycle with a rear chain drive, a diamond shaped frame, this bicycle that was called the safety bicycle because it was safer <laughs> than the earlier models. It was, you know, you were less prone to, uh, as they used to say, taking the header, flying over the, the handlebars and pitching off and clunking your head on the pavement. And by the time we get that, that bike in 1885, um, uh, the, uh, the, this, this horse, bicycle rivalry is 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 something that's been you know is now decades old um but in this period um the bicycles you know that up until that time there was there was there was kind of there was a lot of um there were a lot of utopian um dreams around the bicycle before um before the the, the 1885 but once we get that safety bicycle with pneumatic um tires and um, and um, you know a much better engineered bike, a much cheaper bike that um, that many more people, millions more people can suddenly ride. We have suddenly the people's nag, the people's horse, a a, 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 a machine for the masses, um, and it is truly um, a a revolutionary moment. This the the the, the long dreamed of successor to the to you know the the horse drawn cart has arrived um it's viewed as a machine which is um uh you know a um an emancipatory device uh, you know providing not just a, a new kind of personal autonomy but um uh you know kind of uh supercharging your ability to move quickly across the land um but also um has um has all kinds of uh, political resonances. Um, famously, this this bike was um, the new bike was one that that women um, uh, could ride, um, or it was thought the earlier, more poorly engineered bikes that it was too dangerous for women to ride them. Suddenly, you have millions of women taking them in there, and they become along with. Um, the bloomer pantaloons that women have to wear, that women take to wearing in order to ride these, truly a symbol of, you know, emancipated new, new womanhood, a a a both a um, both a symbol and a kind of tool of resistance for suffragists who ride these things to the barricades. So yeah, um, there's all that kind of new um, new political spoke symbolism and uh around the bicycle um and and the 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 horse then um is embraced by kind of bicycle opponents um with a a, a very pointed uh political animus it's it's it people who are um who are against who who maybe you know align themselves against the new woman um the kind of uh, suffragist cause um, embrace the bicycle on on kind of those on, on, on sort of traditionalist terms, um, and uh, uh, moreover, um, you know the the, the bicycle uh, the bicycle was since it was a machine for the masses. It was uh, there were there were there were horse partisans who who clung to the horse as a kind of um, as a as a kind of icon of the old better social order. Um, of agrarianism over against modernity and the machine age, et cetera. You sort of, you know, started talking about the kind of the role that, uh, you know, the bike has played for, you know, maybe let's say political dissidents or, 
you know, activists? Uh, what, you know, what is this, the, the, what is it about the bicycle that has allowed it to, you know, be this sort of tool for those without much power to kind of assert themselves? Um, you know, you, you even talk about the, you know, the use of the bike as a, you know, as in protest, the use of the bike for war, you know, it's something that you can hop on, you can ride in really quickly and do something and then you can, you know, hightail it out of there really, you know, <laughs> you know without making any sound. Um, what, you know, what are sort of the, the ways in which the bike has been used in these ways? Yeah, no, it's very interesting. The bicycle, the bicycle is cheap first and foremost, <laughs> you know, compared to certain other, um, you know, other forms of transportation. So it's available to many people. And, um, and um, yeah, if, you know, you can, you can organize a bicycle protest pretty quickly. You can, as, as, you, as you mentioned, you can kind of mobilize, and, but also elude, <laughs> elude um, authorities on, on, on bikes. Um, so it has been, um, it's definitely played a role in all kinds of um, social movements. There's been, you know, of course there's, um, uh, there's, and today with the environment, you know, beginning in the seventies with, with the rise of the environmental movement, the, the bicycle was, you know, very importantly seen as an alternative to, to the car. The name of my book is Two Wheels Good. That comes from a, a, a bicycle activist phrase, which is of course derived from, um, uh, a, a phrase in, in George Orwell's um, Animal Farm, but the idea there is two wheels good, four wheels bad. The bike has very much been been championed as this greener, cleaner machine, um, a a um, a machine um, a a machine that can even um, you know save the world. That will that will um, lead to a better personal health outcomes, but also, you know, a, a healthier planet. Um, so there's, there's a lot of uh, this kind of um, um, rhetoric around the bicycle for, and for good reason, you know, obviously like uh, cities um, um, in, the, in, in, in our, our current age uh, would be health, healthier, cleaner, serener, more habitable if we were all riding around on bikes as opposed to you know stuck in horrible traffic jams um, in automobiles but one of the things that I that I point out in the bike is that as a as a I mean sorry in the book I should say in, in the book about the bike is that um, bicycles are are um, you know they don't have um, any kind of fixed meaning um, their political their their um, their political valence depends on on the time and place and where you are. So, so you know, um, and, and this is where, you know, I departed from a lot of the, the, at least the kind of, a lot of the trade book literature on the bike, which, which has, has, you know, viewed the bike as, as purely this emancipatory device, this insurgent, even punk vehicle, um, because bicycles were used, for instance, by colonial officials in, um, uh, you know, colonies in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. A lot of the places that the bicycle first reached, um, they were ridden by soldiers or missionaries or prospectors who were, you know, <laughs> riding the bicycle on, uh, onto indigenous lands or to wage war. Um, so this is this is a this is like you know a, I think a 
an interesting um, aspect of of bicycle culture, which which is which is coming into focus a lot more these days, um, because um, because for instance, um, uh, in cities today, you have on the one hand um, these wonderful bike sharing schemes and a, a kind of um, resurgent bike bicycle activism that's um, that's championing the idea of the bicycle uh, as uh, the bicycle safe uh, as a um, uh, as a vehicle that that can improve people's lives, bring us safer streets, better cities. Um, but others have pointed out that, in fact, um, when you build bicycle lanes, you often bring gentrification to neighbor to to neighborhoods. That there is inequities um, that arrive with the bicycle. Um, we see this also in terms of the manufacturing of the bicycle, because even though the bicycle's reputation is that of a of a, of a Clean green machine. Um, the um, uh, the uh, you know the bicycle is a, is a product of, of industrial of capitalism. There are raw materials that have to be pulled out of the ground in order to create a bicycle. Extractive industries have their have problematic human rights records. There's incidents um, in places like Bangladesh and Vietnam where you have child laborers building bicycles. So the bicycle as a as a as a um, as a kind of um, political um, tool is um, kind of perennially up for grabs. I'll, I'll say one more thing about this. This is very dramatically illustrated um, here in New York City in the summer of 2020, when, you know, in the wake of the, of the, the murder of George Floyd, there was the, the great uprising with thousands and thousands pouring into the streets to protest. Many here in New York, many of those people were of those protesters were riding bicycles, but they were met out in the streets by New York's own um, brigade of bicycle, of very, of, you know, of armored bicycle cops, um, who not only used their bicycles as kind of shields, um, but as bludgeons, as weapons to um, uh, in these protests. So you had you had the you know a fight for the for the political meaning of the bicycle happening right out there on the streets um, in, in 2020. Something that you include in the book is this, uh, you know, a really interesting section of just your, your personal history with the bike. And I think it, it helps, you know, make sense of, uh, you know, the sort of approach and tack that you've taken to writing, to writing this book, because I think that, you know, this is a, a very, I think, different book than other nonfiction books that I've read. You know, each chapter really is, um, you know, kind of takes a different approach and different focus. So, you know, how did you first, you know, what, what's your earliest memories with, with biking and, you know, what is your, your current, you know, relationship with biking like? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, the funny thing about that chapter is um, I, 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 was, I was a little nervous about doing memoir in any way. It's not, it's not where, it, it's not my super duper comfort zone. Um, Although there, you know, I do write in the first person quite a bit in this book, but what I realized was this is this is a kind of how the sausage is made aspect of this. But I, but I, there were there were various themes that I didn't wasn't able to get into the book that I wanted to write about. So writing the memoir chapter was kind of my my sneaky way of shoehorning in ideas about what it's like to bike in the city and in New York in particular to discuss. Um, 
the you know um, the, the, the you know sort of briefly the history of um, children and bicycles and and the um, and the ideal of the child's first ride on a bike um, to talk about growing old on a bike um, and also to get into some of the the big questions um, about the future of the bike in the city safety and lack thereof for cyclists all these things I, I kind I kind of I kind of managed to kind of sneak in um, via this device of a, of a, a memoir chapter um, but in terms of uh, it turned out to be like the right choice I think because um, you know you don't always want to be speaking as um, some sort of alleged expert about history, and and this this is the one sub subject to which I can make a fair a decent claim to be expert, which is my own, my own experiences, you know, riding bikes around. So, um, so yeah, you know, the bike like bikes have always been um, a big part of my my daily routine, but also you know a big part of like for lack of a better term, my my this will sound grandiose, but my spiritual life, like I get I get to a, a zone. A zone of um, that that I don't that I don't get to in other you know realms of life in other like literal walks of life when I'm on a bike like when I'm walking around town I feel I often feel like I'm kind of you know forging a river <laughs> or like walking through the mire or quicksand or something because I'm so used to moving swiftly on my bike. Um, and 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 so yeah, like you know, I, I what 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 really um what I think like you know at at this point in my biking life, it's it's almost like a physical need I have to be on the bike because I don't feel I don't feel great being off one, especially when I'm just like you know going about my my daily business here in New York. I'm I should I should add I'm not at all a sports cyclist. I, I'm like a, a a transport not sport guy. Like I don't really know how to ride a bike properly. I've never, I've never squeezed myself into spandex, which is, which is definitely good for myself and for my family and the community at large. Um, and you know, like when people have um, asked me, like people who are who are real cyclists who actually know how to ride a bike and maybe like, you know, take their bike out out of New York City to like Bear Mountain in New Jersey or something like that, and, and you know, ride the mountain. When I've had to ride along with those people, I I huff and puff, and it's a disaster. So, but on a bike, you know, tooling around the city, I feel I feel pretty good. Um, and I and I wanted to like use this chapter to kind of discuss that those kind of sensual, spiritual aspects of being a cyclist and kind of, and kind of sort through my, my, idea, my ideas about it. Um, so, so yeah. It, in, in another section in the book, you talk about a cyclist named Danny McCaskill. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned this particular video that went viral on YouTube that he put up on 2009 of him you know, he's uh, riding a mountain bike, sort of doing BMX type trip tricks, but it's just like unbelievable. And it was really, it was actually, I, you know, when I read, was reading that section, I pulled the video up and it was really strange because I had, it was like, I, I, I remember seeing it when it came out. And what's funny about it too, is I actually like had this brief period of time in like 2009, 2010, where I was like an obsessive 
uh, like fixed geared bicyclist. I was really bad at it, but you know, but there was this kind of, I, I'm sure you remember like 2009, 2010, 11, this kind of like fixed gear, you know, uh, moment. Uh, and yeah, I remember watching that video and I was like, I need to get into biking again. Uh, so that, that was, that's a really great video. And yeah. all about it too is the song in it is Funeral by Band of Horses, which I thought was kind of funny that it's a that band of horses and it's the bicycle and it kind of like frames it so yeah no, no that it's funny the um I, that that section of the book is is a, it focuses it's it's sort of like a, a mini profile of this great what's called a trial cyclist Danny McCaskill um this is you know his 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 cycling art is is doing these uh, trial cycling is a sport which it basically involves which is which privileges balance above all it's about it's about trying to like ride around without ever letting your feet hit the ground and doing all kinds of i assume i can say this on this podcast like rad badass stunts like you know like you're jumping around jumping your bike off of um from great heights you know hopping between bollards you know kind of shredding the cityscape in in in, in something like what what a, a practitioner of parkour does or a skater um so I used I used the story of Danny McCaskill to kind of like then dip back into the 19th century history of of trick cycling, um, but 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 what I think is you know um, one of the most interesting aspects of of that chapter and of and really you know one of the, the the key themes in in the story of the bicycle generally is this idea that a bicycle is not just a device that you can roll along the ground. It's a kind of a flying machine. Um, you know, uh, a lot of what Danny McCaskill does and what, what trick cyclists have, have done through the decades and across the, and now over two centuries is get air. You know what I mean? Like fly through the air on the bike. Um, and 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 this this is this is um, an idea that you know was. Um, in bicycle culture right from the beginning to go back to the that that lauf machine or the velocipede um you know very the early observers of that thing compared it to pegasus you know the 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 the, the winged stallion of greek mythology and we can trace this this idea straight up through bicycle culture to the present day so there were always these ideas about the bicycle as as a flying machine um, before there was ever an airplane, people were kind of trying to create um, uh, bicycle airships, various hybrids where you you know attach wings to a bike. Um, there's famous advertising images from the, the period of the great 1890s bicycle boom, which depict kind of nymphs or you know goddesses, mythological figures, women generally on bicycles in outer space, and and of course we can trace this right up to the present day. Um, or to more recent times, something like ET, the famous the famous bike ride in ET, where where the, the child and the alien go are silhouetted against the moon and go biking through the night sky, um, and you know, and this for me is like is is a is this is like the romantic image uh, idea of the bike that I can really get the time behind because of course when you're on the bike, you you sometimes really do feel like you're you're flying. You're not you're not quite earthbound at least in your mind. And also, if you want to get technical about it, you're 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 you are traveling on air because you're there's pneumatic tires that are that are kind of holding you aloft from from the pavement so so yeah uh 
in, in a way, um, to go back to trick cycling, you know, all anytime you get on a bike, you're performing a stunt, right? You're keeping the bike balanced. You're you're riding the bike on air. Um, you're making you know all these little corrections basically the entire time that you're not even conscious of to keep the bike upright. Um, so, you know, in a sense, we're all trick cyclists, and in a sense, we're all all cyclists are. Our, our pilots, as as well as well as you know, travelers travels on terra firma. Well, Jody, thank you so much for being on New Books Network. It was great talking to you. Uh, I really recommend this book, even for those that aren't cyclists. Uh, if someone doesn't bike and reads this book, maybe it will inspire them to uh, to get out there and ride around. Um, but yeah, no, I certainly you know agree with you. I think biking is, you know. It's I, I I I try and bike every single day, and it's definitely a day without biking is not not a very not as good as a, as a day with one with with biking. So, thank you so much. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it.